You know, as we were talking through the series excuses and we were having our conversation last week and we looked at the story uh, of Sarah and Abraham and all that, it, it made me think of a story in my own life uh, that sits pretty vividly still even in my head today. And it's a story uh, most of you probably are familiar with because everybody, for the most part, learns how to ride a bike at some point, right? And that process looks a certain way. But when it comes to excuses, as my dad was taking me through this process, I was full of them, right? We get to the point where all right, it's day to take the training wheels off and I'm going to hop on and, and dad's going to grab the seat and he's going to walk behind me and, and, and I'm going to tell him, don't let go. Don't let go. I cannot do this. Do not let go. I'm going to fall over. Don't let go. I'm not strong enough. Don't let go. I'm not balanced enough. Don't let go. And I had a million different excuses as to why I was telling him, I need you right there the whole way. Don't leave. Well, like any dad does whenever you do this, right? You know the old trick and, and don't tell my kids because I have to use this trick one day. But but he holds the seat, and then after he feels like he kind of got the hang of it, he eventually lets go without you noticing, and you realize, I'm doing this on my own. I'm pedaling on my own. But for me, it was, I looked back just to make sure he was still there, and as soon as I looked back and I didn't see him, I immediately fell over, and I had a, and there, there my excuses were, were justified. Look, I, I told you I wasn't able to do it. I told you I was going to fall over, yada, 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 right? And I had all these excuses, and Dad reminds me, he said, well, look how far you made it. I let go of you way back there. Look how far you made it. It wasn't that you weren't doing it. It's that when you looked back, you had an issue, right? When you let fear creep in, that's when you had an issue. You made all these excuses, but you didn't need them because for at least 20 yards, you were doing it on your own in the driveway. And so I realized, man, he's right. I made all these excuses, but he had prepared me. He had equipped me. He had made me competent and capable. And I started to do it. I started to be able to ride my bike without training wheels for the first time and got rid of all the excuses. From that day forward, was wreaking havoc in the neighborhood, right? Just driving the bike everywhere, riding the bike everywhere. But I realized in that moment, uh, excuses were there. Excuses were this thing that I clung on to because really I was afraid that my dad was going to be wrong. I was afraid he was going to be wrong about who I was, right? And, and this, this comparison fails a little bit because dad's not God. And, and, and in this story we're going to look at today, you have a God who's calling you to do something. But I think the premise is still there that we have excuses. And so I wanted to recap our definition from last week of excuses. Let me read it for you real quick. According to Oxford's Dictionary, excuses are defined as a reason or explanation put forward to defend or justify a fault or offense. The rational nature of excuses often make them plausible, but at the end of the day, they're just mere explanations for why something happened other than what should have happened. Excuses often appeal to emotion, physical limitations, or to circumstances in order to make their plea. Boom, there you go. Little AJ was doing all of that. He was making all of these excuses. But one of the things I love about the Bible is we realize, hey, we're not alone, right? There's a whole... Uh, collaboration of 66 books over 40 different authors, and they all tell different stories that really resonate and teach us, hey, there's a God who loves somebody just like you. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a story with a guy named Moses. And what's fascinating about Moses in this timeline, especially as we had this conversation last week, is you're going to see him as a descendant from Abraham and Sarah. He's going to be part of the Hebrew people, the Israelites, right? Part of Israel. And so as we pick up in the timeline, uh, Sarah and Abraham are gone. There's been some other stories and Joseph and the coat of many colors and his brothers, they show up to Egypt and maybe you're somewhat familiar with that, but you get to this point and it says Joseph and all his brothers eventually, in that generation, eventually 
died. So that's where we're picking up this story in Exodus chapter one as we dive into it. But the Israelites were fruitful. So Joseph has passed away, but God's people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, they're still fruitful. They're increasing rapidly. They multiply uh, and they became extremely numerous, it says, so that the land was filled with them. Now, a new king who didn't know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. And so this is kind of where we pick up the story. And, and, and it even says, as they oppress them with forced labor, what happens next? It says, the more they lean into forced labor, the more God's people start to multiply. And so you can imagine if you're Pharaoh, you're the king of Egypt in this moment, you're getting a little bit overwhelmed because you realize from a military standpoint, there's more people, they have more units than we have that could bode not well in the future. And then you try to deal with it. You try to put your thumb and, and force down on them. And then what happens, they grow even more. And so you see Pharaoh and the Egyptians start to hit the panic button a little bit here. It goes so far to, to this point where Pharaoh says, hey, we've got to get this under control. So midwives, what I need you to do is I need you to observe the birth, obviously. And then if a boy comes out, we need to immediately kill the boy because the men will eventually overtake us if we don't start to deal with them right now. Well, the midwives, uh, the Hebrew midwives basically say, you know, we fear God more than we fear you. So we're not going to listen to you. Um, and what happens, God honors that. And, and he actually gives them their own children because of this. But Pharaoh realizes, okay, well, they're not doing what we're supposed to, they're supposed to be doing. So we got to deal with the boys some other way. So now here's what's going to happen. If there's been a boy, we need to make sure that we throw those babies into the Nile River. They'll drown and we'll be able to control the population. Well, if you are familiar with the story of Moses, here's what happens. Moses gets put in the river and he actually gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he actually gets raised in Pharaoh's court and, and starts to do what the Egyptians do and starts to become assimilated into the Egyptian culture, even though he is a Hebrew. Well, as he starts to have this sense of understanding and justice, he actually sees one of these taskmasters one day uh, treating one of his uh, fellow Hebrew brothers poorly and he actually kills him. And so he kills him and he flees Egypt and heads into Midian, right? So here he goes, he runs into Midian. He actually ends up in Midian for 40 years. And while he's in Midian, he ends up getting married and becoming a son-in-law. Son That's important because the father-in-law has appointed him a specific task. Hey, I want you to be in charge of this flock. All right, now you're caught up to speed. What happens next? Moses is just going about his business, doing his thing, uh, goes out there and tends to the flock, and then the miraculous happens. God shows up to Moses by way of a burning bush. And he shows up to Moses and he says, hey, I've got a plan for you and I need you to execute this plan. Here's what you're going to do. If you have your Bible and you're following along, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3 now, verse 10. He's giving Moses the instruction and he says this, therefore go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. Go, I'm sending you, here is the command. It's clear, right? And at this point, Moses doesn't know much, but what he does know is I was out here minding my own business, taking care of a flock of sheep. 
and then that bush was on fire, and then a bush said, hey, here's who I am. I'm God. Oh, by the way, Moses, I know your name. Oh, by the way, Moses, I know what's going on over there in Egypt. Oh, by the way, I'm going to call you to remedy this entire situation. I'm going to call you to something, and I need you to step into it. In verse 13, it picks up and it says this. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. I love it. Because up to this point, what they have are stories of God's faithfulness. And he says, hey, when you go, tell them, this is who I am. I'm the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you go, I want you to, rem- I want you to tell them that because what it's going to do is it's going to remind them of just how much I've been faithful in the past and just how much they're my people and how I'm about to be faithful in the future. That's a whole nother conversation. We actually did a series on that last year called the Red Sea Rules, and it was phenomenal. But this story has to do specifically with Moses and God saying, Moses, you're the guy that I'm going to use. I need you to leave here and I need you to go back to Egypt and I need you to get my people. You're going to be the one that leads them out of captivity. And so Moses doesn't know much outside of the fact that this God who just showed up on the scene knows his name, knows the situation, and is able to do the miraculous. Oh, by the way, he's also holy because he says, hey, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground right now. And so Moses is starting to get a picture of who this God of Abraham is. But the first thing that comes out of his mouth is right there after verse 10, right? Verse 11 and 12, he says this. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt you will all worship God at this mountain. Okay, fascinating, because this is where we start to become a little more like Moses than I think uh, we care to admit, right? Moses says, after God gives him a clear command in verse 10, right, he says, hey, I'm sending you, here's what you're gonna do, they're my people. The first thing Moses does is says, hey, me? You want me to, you got the wrong guy, brother, it ain't me. Who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should be bringing the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm not sure you have or you understand who you have trying to accomplish this. I'm not sure you're aware of my capabilities. I'm not sure you're aware, God, of my limitations, right? And so I know that this is what you're telling me to do. I'm just telling you maybe you have the wrong person because I'm a nobody. I'm not somebody with the credentials, the military capacity. I don't know how you want me to go into uh, Egypt and just all of a sudden deliver these people from the taskmasters, from the oppression. I don't know if you know, God, who you have that you're asking to do this. How does God answer him in verse 12? I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God on this mountain. And so has Moses read the Bible yet? Does Moses have all these experiences of the plague yet? No. However, this God just showed up, said, hey, by the way, I know your name. I know exactly who you are, and I'm calling you to something specific. And when Moses starts to doubt that, what is God's response in verse 12? He says, hey, 
quit worrying about that. I will certainly be with you. I'm going to be with you. It's not going to be about what you're capable of. It's going to be about the fact that I'm calling you to it. And because I've called you to it, I'm going to go with you. The God who turned into a burning bush, that's the God that's going to go with you. The God that knows your name, that's the God that's going to go with you. The God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the God that's going to go with you. Moses, I need you to know I'm going with you. And so Moses has an excuse. I don't know if you have the right guy, God. Who am I that I should do this? And then God has a promise to counter that excuse. I will be with you. And so Moses gets some of that alleviated for a short moment, but like all of us, and this is what I love about the transparency of the Bible, there's more doubt that creeps in in this story, right? There's more doubt that creeps in for Moses. In, verse, in chapter four, verse one, he gets to another moment of doubt, and he says this, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord didn't appear to you? So he says, okay, God, all right, all right, so you're telling me uh, this is what I'm supposed to do, and now what if I do it? What if I, I, I go ahead, I step into this, I do what you're telling me to do. I get all the way over there. I tell him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me. I'm here. This is what he wants to do. And then God, what if they look at me and they say, no, he didn't actually tell you that. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me and won't obey me? What if they won't believe me and then obey you, God? What if they don't? What do I do then? It's excuse number two, God, I don't know if I should go because I'm not sure they're actually going to listen. I'm not sure they're actually going to care. And he combats excuse number two, another I can't, I'm not going to be compelling, what if they don't listen with this? Not only will I be with you, but I'm going to work through you. Because if you look in verses two and three, and then six through nine, here's what unfolds. God says, hey, here's what's going to happen when you get there. I'm going to have you put your staff on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. And oh, by the way, when you grab that snake by the tail, it's going to turn into a staff again. And then they're going to know there's going to be a sign. And then, oh, by the way, I want you to go ahead and put your hand in your cloak and then pull it out and you're going to see leprous. And then I want you to put your hand back in your cloak and pull it out again. And you're going to be fine because I'm in control of the laws of nature. I'm in control what happens to the human body. Oh, and then if that's not compelling enough, I want you to know that I'm going to work through you again because you're going to show them a cup of water that turns into blood. And these are going to be signs that it is you as the agent going and doing and being obedient, but it is me that is walking with you to see you through the thing that I've called you to. So excuse number two, what if they don't believe me? Promise number two, I will be with you. Again, I will be with you and I will work through you. I will be with you and I will work through you. But again, we resonate with Moses because here we are, Three, three layers deep into this thing, God's still got a calling on our life and we're still trying to kick the can down the road because we're full of excuses. And so when you look in chapter four, verse 10, it's Moses being as human as he could possibly be again, says this, Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. This is verse 10. This is right after verse 9. This is right after verses uh, 2 and 3. This is right after verse 6 and 7, right? This, this is right after God has just said, hey man, don't be concerned because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to work through you and I'm going to do all of this, right? I'm going to show you all these different signs and then right on the backside of God saying, here are the signs. Here's what you're going to accomplish. What does Moses do? He makes another excuse. He says, Lord, I can't again. I can't. 
I can't do this because I'm not eloquent. Whether it was in the past or even recently, God, I'm just not eloquent. My mouth and my tongue are sluggish. And there's actually a couple of opinions here as to what he means. It could mean uh, he had a speech impediment. It could mean that he, he slurred his words a lot. He stuttered a lot. It could mean uh, something along those lines. Or it could mean that, God, I've been in Midian for 40 years and I don't remember Egyptian like I used to. And you want me to go? And you want me to speak Egyptian to the king of Egypt? You want me to speak like that to Pharaoh? I, I'm not capable of doing that. I can't do that. And over and over and over again, the theme is God says, hey, I'm calling you to this. And Moses says, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And God's about to say, hey, whether you can or you can't is not the point. The point is that you understand that I am with you. I will be with you. So God takes the third excuse and he responds to the third excuse with a third promise. And he says, I will be with you and Not only will I be with you, but I will work in you. Because this is what he says in verse 11. As the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Here comes Moses with the third excuse. By the way, all of these have been, I can't, or some version of that. And he gets to the third one and God says again, hey, It's not about you. It's about me. And I'm the one that's called you to this. I'm the one that's called you to this. And I'm the one that puts mouths on faces. I'm the one that's called you to this. And I'm the one that puts voice in mouths. I'm the one that's called you to this. And I'm the one that gives sight to blind people. I'm the one that gives hearing to deaf people. It is me. I am in charge of the laws of nature. I am in charge of who you are and what you're capable of and all of that. And so, yes, you're the agent I'm calling. And I've told you this is what you're going to do. So now I need you to trust me, not you. I need you to trust who I am, not who you are, because I know what you're capable of, especially if I've called you to this thing. Who will be with you, Moses? I will be with you. This is what God's saying to him over and over and over again in the middle of all of the I can'ts. And so if there's one thing we're going to learn from this in week two of our excuses series, it's this, that God's promises are bigger than your excuses. And I would maybe even double down on that and go a layer deeper and say, God's promises and his character are bigger than your excuses. Because your excuses are going to be contingent on what you're capable of and what other people are capable of. And if they're contingent on what God's capable of, he's showing us right here, I'm in control of all of it, so why are you worried? God's promises and his character are bigger than your excuses. And so I don't know if you needed to hear this morning that, hey, you can make a million excuses, but you know clearly what God's called you to. And so it's time to stop kicking the can down the road and time to start giving God a yes and trusting that if he called you to it, he's going to see you through it. If he called you to something, he's going to be right there with you in the trenches. If he calls you to it, he's going to see you through it because it's his promise and God is a keeper of promises. And so, yeah, it's a different conversation as we wade through. Well, well, how do I know? That's a different conversation. The conversation this morning is for those of you that know God's calling you to something and you've refused to give him a yes because you've been loaded down with excuses. But I want you to be encouraged because what God's teaching Moses is, hey, it's not about you in the first place. It's about who I am and what I'm capable of. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would teach us that, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you are capable. God, you are 
in charge of the things that we see in the physical realm, in charge of the things that we see in the spiritual realm. And God, nothing is lost on you. You're not incapable of anything, God, that you have created. And so I, I pray that you would teach us that today. I pray that you would set out uh, to help us understand that we can trust you if you've called us to something. And then God, I pray that this conversation would would cause a ripple effect with a bunch of people who have been withholding a yes and that God, they would start giving you a yes and that other people would see a yes and that the world would be changed because of people who trusted the God that calls them and made promises. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.